welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. All right, friends, we are uh, wrapping up Ephesians next week. We've had a few great months in it. Hope you've enjoyed the series. I'm going to encourage you, invite you to have Ephesians 6 open. If you didn't bring your own Bible or your device, we have Bibles right there ready for you. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, what Paul does as he goes into verse 10, he says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, I don't know what it means when Paul says finally exactly, but when I say finally, as it happened last service at the end of my sermon, it means I'm probably going long. So basically, what we see here is Paul, what he is doing instead is saying, I want you to focus on this. Finally, this wraps up everything I've been saying. Paul closes with the focus of the need for God's strength because Paul identifies a real battle ahead. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Take a look at that again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I love that word wrestle. It literally is the vision of the Greeks in the Greek games of them wrestling. Now, some of you remember that I shared in the past that in high school, I was a high school wrestler. And so I was tempted to put up a picture of me in high school, but my wife probably would be aghast at that. So I didn't do that because what happened in high school, imagine for me as a wrestler, it wasn't like the best way to attract the ladies with wearing tights and rolling around with sweaty guys, etc. But it's real battle. It's a real fight that is happening. Paul is saying this is a real battle. We are wrestling against real entities, not just flesh and blood. These are real deals. Now, here's the thing. As we talk about spiritual warfare and battles today, there are two extremes I want us to avoid, okay? Here's the first extreme. The first extreme is that we have an overemphasis on Satan, an overfocus. Uh, actually, someone asked me about this, just to be clear. We serve a God who is omnipresent, omnipotent, okay? All-powerful everywhere. Satan is not all-powerful. He is not all-present. And so we can have an overemphasis on Satan. We crash our car. Oh, the devil. The devil made me do that. Or maybe you shouldn't have been watching cat videos on YouTube while driving, right? I mean, there's reasons that you have responsibilities, right, for all the different problems in your life. It's not always the devil's fault, okay? Maybe you shouldn't have been on your phone, right? Now, we can wrongly focus so much on spiritual warfare that we give Satan too much credit. Because we got to think about this, we could give him so much credit that we forget our authority comes under Christ. We're not under the authority of the devil, it's under Christ. And so here's the thing, though. Here's the other extreme. I suspect that most of us, not all of us, but most of us, actually suffer the other extreme is that we underemphasize spiritual warfare. We, we don't see it as something to take seriously. Now, modern portrayals of Lucifer can include the cartoonish or the cool. Take a look at these. These are both modern pictures of Satan. Red suit, tights, right? Or the sexy. That's also a picture of Satan. It's on a popular TV show. It gives the false picture that sa Satan is harmless or he's hip. And he's neither. He's not harmless, he's dangerous, and he's not hip. <laughs> he's dangerous. We cannot be 
playing around with dark forces. There are real dangers to be had. It's a real battle. Take a look at verse 12 again, because here Paul emphasizes, he says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It is not against flesh and blood. Now, keep this in mind. The Ephesians that Paul is writing to, these Christians who had converted to Christianity, came out of the dark arts. They came out of magic. They were very familiar with actual powers because they lived it. They experienced it. And they had to turn away from these other powers and turn towards the true power in Jesus. So Paul's not talking hypothetically. He's talking about their real experience with witchcraft, with with, uh, occultic practices, with saying incantations in order to try to get rich or to get someone to fall in love with you. This happens today, guys. These are true dark forces at work. And so this battle is not against flesh and blood. And so what we see is to be reminded for you as a Christian, Jesus is always present with the Holy Spirit living within us, right? Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I am with you always. Jesus is with you. He is omnipresent by his spirit living in each one of us. Satan is not. But we need to understand these unseen spiritual realms of good. There's also unseen spiritual realms of bad. It's real. There is evil that is not of this realm, but can affect us in this realm. It's real. Take a look at verse 11. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You might want to circle the word schemes, unless that's our Bible, then don't circle it. But it's your Bible. Circle schemes. The Greek word is methodia, the method, the strategy. Satan is plotting our demise. He uses his power, his limited power, but his power to undermine us, to attack God's people. This is a very real thing, this dark realm that sometimes we don't even realize that Satan has a strategy. He spends his time thinking about this, plotting it, executing plans, demons and demonic forces and and dark powers that could even infiltrate a whole culture, right? Right? I'm going to mention four specific strategies. It's not exhaustive, but four specific strategies to look out for for Satan because Paul says in verse 13, we need to stand firm against the methodia, the strategies of the devil. I'm going to mention four quickly. Let's see if any of these connect with you. One strategy of Satan is to convince us that evil isn't real. Humans are good. We're just good people. There's a few bad ones, but we're all just innately good. Well, there's, here's some truth. We're all made in the image of God. Every single person, Christian and non-Christian, made in the image of God, has some aspect of God's beauty in them. Not everyone is saved, but everyone has the image of God. There is beauty. But guess what? Sin has entered the world, and each one of us carries sin. There's actually evil in the world. There's evil within us and without Jesus making us clean. We are stuck and trapped in this realm of darkness. So one strategy is to convince us that evil is not real. But I want you to think about this. We as humans have a history of being entertained by evil itself. 
It was 2,000 years ago, and these, maybe even some of these very uh, Ephesians, uh, their neighbors, years later, as Christianity grew, the Romans would throw Christians into the Colosseum. 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 people cheering, chanting for them to kill, to burn Christians alive, to throw them to the lions, cheering. Evil, right? These are human beings. Now, here's the thing. 2,000 years ago, if you were in the Roman Empire and you weren't a Christian, do you know for sure that without Christ that you would not have entered that Colosseum either to be entertained by the, by the most popular form of entertainment of its time? And do we have any kind of entertainment like that today that is horrendous in the eyes of the Lord but is so common to us? Humans, we must admit, have a tendency to even be entertained by evil. Our species has committed heinous crimes that even wild animals haven't done. That's easy to point to a Stalin or a Hitler. They're, they're easy targets. Of course. Well, that's evil. Of course. Well, how about last week? We have an abortion advocate who said with a straight face that a baby in the birth canal did not have its own right to life apart from a mother's decision. That, that baby in the birth canal, that's evil, right? We have to admit that there are dark forces at work to convince entire movements and nations that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. How about mass shootings? Just last week, we had a black neighborhood was shot up. It was racist. And then last week, my friend's church, Geneva Press, there was a Taiwanese church meeting there and it was uh, actually a Chinese person who shot and killed one person at a church banquet. Mass shootings, evil. Humans, for all the capacity of good, have a great capacity for evil. Or the fact that I mentioned even last week, just in the past seven days, another 20,000 children are trafficked into slavery on planet Earth every week. Evil. There's humanity for you. The devil's first strategy is to convince you that, well, evil's not real. Got it? Ready for the second strategy? Second strategy of the devil is this. It's believing that he doesn't exist. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus himself has a conversation with the devil. The devil is throwing out scripture. Go ahead, look at Luke 4 on your own later. The devil is using scripture to talk to the Son of God. And Jesus is combating it back with scripture. Jesus is battling the devil himself on planet Earth. Jesus was tempted. He was harassed by the devil. And guess what? Anyone here who believes in Jesus? Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Let's see some hands. You believe in Jesus? Then guess what? You should believe in a real devil who can harass people, who has demons, who has dark forces. That no, doesn't make you sin. There's no excuses. Oh, but there's a, there are evil forces at bay that would love for you to keep your eyes off Jesus. You see... 
As recently as 2009, listen to this, 74% of American Christians couldn't affirm the biblical view, 74%, that the devil is a living being and not just a symbol of evil. Did you hear me? 74% of American Christians, as recently as 10 years ago, don't even believe the biblical view that the devil is real. You guys, he's real. Demons are real. Spiritual forces are real. We don't want to overemphasize it, but we could also underemphasize the reality. There's a real battle going on. Satan is real. He's plotting. He's planning. He's scheming. And so let me remind you, friends, our battle is not against Republicans or Democrats. I know it feels like that, but it's not. Our battle is not against China or Russia. I know it feels like that, but it's not. Our battle is against Satan and his forces and the dark powers. It's a spiritual battle against real evil. So the first strategy, evil's not real. The second strategy, the devil's not real. The third strategy of Satan is this. It's deception. Deception. In John chapter 8, Jesus says the devil, the one that he battled, the very real living being who's not just a symbol of evil, Jesus says that the Satan is the father of lies. So guess what Satan's main go-to is? Lying. Deception. Here's the thing. Satan knows that he can't separate God's children from our good father. But what he could do is use deception to cause you, children of God, to doubt God's love. See, see, God won't give up on his children. His chosen children are secure. Satan knows, well, that's a lost battle. So you know what he'll do? He'll go after you or his demons or the dark forces using deception to lie. Satan knows he can't trick God into not loving you, so he tries to trick you into thinking that God has stopped loving you, that you're too sinful. It's a lie. You're secure in the arms of Jesus. It's deception is his third strategy. Let me mention a fourth one. There could be more. A fourth strategy of the devil is affliction. Anyone ever gone through any conflict? I'm not saying it's all from the devil, but sometimes the devil will take advantage, at least, of affliction to attack you. You remember the story of Job. This one directly was God uh, has Satan approach him at the throne somehow in the mystery of how the heavenly realities work. And God gives Satan limited ability to inflict pain on Job. And so what Satan does, he tries to get Job to not trust God, to not, not trust God's promises. And his strategy is very similar today. That affliction in your life, anyone think about a major affliction in your life, okay? Satan would love to use that. Again, whether he's directly responsible or indirectly, he'd love to use that affliction to get you to stop trusting God, to get you to stop listening to God, to get you to stop talking with God, to get you to stop serving God, to get you to stop being secure in your salvation with God. You get it? He would love to use whatever financial affliction, relational affliction, emotional affliction, spiritual affliction that you might turn away from trusting God. He's going after your relationship with God because he knows he can't really separate it. So Christians, he's trying to get you to doubt it. 
and to be discouraged and to stop serving and to stop praying and to stop loving and to stop forgiving. And so what we need to do against these four strategies of Satan, take a look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We're called to stand firm against these unseen dark forces that are very real. Stand firm. Isaiah 59 even speaks of God's own armor. And so guess what? Paul is now saying you get to have heavenly armor as well to be in the spiritual battle that is real. These evil days that Paul is warning Christians about is Satan going after relationship with deception and with affliction. You might have two of those or one of those in your life right now that Satan is attacking us. Stand firm. I have a picture of a soldier. This is real. On the left side is a relief picture in Ephesus. Picture of a Roman soldier. Picture on the right is kind of an illustration because these are the types of things that would have been common knowledge to the people in Ephesus. They would have been thinking about the, the holy, this holy armor. They would have been thinking about the armor of a soldier. The six pieces of armor that Paul mentioned is a metaphor for the armor we are to take on in our daily lives. So let me try to quickly touch on each piece of armor. Take a look at verse 14. Paul says, stand therefore, having fastened on, the first one, the belt of truth. Okay? A belt of truth. Now, keep in mind that Paul uses actually three things to fight deception. He's saying these three verbs, having fastened, having put on. The three verbs are in the aorist tense. That's a fancy way to say that, that means these are things you already have. Three things you already have, but maybe you forgot you had them. Three tools, three pieces of armor for you to use. You need to remember to use them, remember that you have them to stand against Satan's strategy. Satan's strategy, I even think particularly of deception. You need to remember these three realities to protect your mind, to protect your attitude, protect your thoughts, protect your focus. And the first one is the belt of truth. So soldiers had a big belt, a big belt that held the robe as a preparation for the fight. It's more than just like a belt like I'm wearing, like a little flimsy piece of leather and a little buckle. It was like a big piece of leather. It had metal. It had slots to carry tools, including a sword. We'll get to the sword later. It held everything together. And in fact, even had some more protective pieces than what you're just thinking of a belt. It was a very significant part of a soldier's uh, armor in order for them to be ready for battle. So belt of truth means you got to get ready for battle. Paul is saying you have this. The belt of truth. And you need that belt of truth because Satan, as I said, is the father of what? Lies. And so guess what you need in order to battle the father of lies? You need a belt of truth. We need a belt of truth to fend off the false beliefs that lead to an incongruent life. The false beliefs like this, like, I got plenty of time to serve Jesus later. A false belief like, I got plenty of time to give my life to the Lord. I got plenty of time to make sacrifices for Jesus. We need a belt of truth to battle the lies of Satan, who sometimes his biggest lie will be is, don't hurry, you got plenty of time. 
We have a call and an opportunity to serve the Lord right now. The father of lies particularly will try to get you to forget to make Jesus central. You'll get distracted by secondary issues, and we start fighting amongst ourselves about different doctrinal distinctions, which are important but aren't central. Things like end times views. You ever heard of these things? Some of you have been around the church a while. It's, oh, you pre-millennial or post-millennial or all-millennial. And Pastor Tim, like I always say, I'm a pan-millennialist because it's all going to pan out in the end. It does matter. But when we fight each other over distinctions that are secondary, we're minoring on the minors instead of majoring on the majors. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, a real spiritual battle. Time is short. Let's work together. There are people who've never heard the gospel. Let's work together to get the word out and point to Jesus. We need the belt of truth so we don't get distracted and deceived by the father of lies. The devil wants us divided. Secondly, there's a breastplate of righteousness. Now, Roman guards, I hear, had no protection in the back. You weren't allowed to run away. Your only protection was in the front. Keep that in mind to do battle. The breastplate of righteousness, you can face your enemy and have this breastplate to protect you in the fight. And so listen to this. For you, Christians, if you're a child of God, and that means that you have been made righteous in Christ. And so what that means is you didn't earn it, so that means you can't lose it. A breastplate of righteousness means you are secure in right standing with God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's a gift of God through faith in Jesus. Ephesians 1 says, a believer is sealed and guaranteed a future by the Spirit. And so we are secure in our righteousness because it's been gifted by God and it can't be taken away. So in the fight with the evil one, don't forget you have the breastplate of righteousness your salvation cannot be taken from you. You are in good standing with God. So get out there and stand in the battle. You're secure. The devil will make a frontal attack on your status as God's chosen child. Now here's my caveat. If you've never confessed your sins and have never put your faith in Jesus as your one true Lord, then you need to do that today. These promises aren't for you unless you say yes to Jesus. But for all of those who have said yes to Jesus, don't forget you're a chosen child. Don't forget your breastplate of righteousness. Revelation 12.10 says this, that Satan is the accuser of our brothers and sisters. It's as if Satan is still going to the throne of God uh, and going after us saying, these Christians of yours, they're pathetic. Heck, they, they are, uh, look how they doubt. They don't serve the poor. They keep struggling uh, with their faith. They aren't as bold as they should be. I want you to imagine God saying to Satan, imagine he's saying, well, these are my righteous kids. They are secure in me. They have the breastplate of righteousness. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. Don't forget what you have. That's going to help you to stand firm. Thirdly, feet fastened with the gospel of peace. Now you got to imagine that the soldiers had sandals and these sandals I hear had nails in them so they could stand firm in the fight. Nails in the sandals. 
Paul wants you to imagine your feet fastened with the gospel of peace. Peace is your sure footing. When I gave my life to Jesus after years of church going, because guess what? That happens. You can be going to church your whole life and never have given your life to Jesus. So after years of church going, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm not promising you this will happen to everyone. When you ask Jesus and confess your sins and you ask him to come into your life and take control, but you know what happened to me? I didn't feel a lot of things in that beautiful moment over three decades ago, but you know what happened for me? I had an incredible supernatural peace I never had had before. And it still carries me today. Yes, does the devil try to come after me or his demons or the dark forces in this world trying to convince me that it's all a lie? Why, why bother with this Jesus stuff? Oh yeah, that happens to even me. But you know what? Have the peace Stand firm with those sandals, with those nails, peace. Oh, the Holy Spirit wants to give you supernatural peace. Anyone here need some peace? It's available to you. We want to pray for you that you would know, not just, as, not just in the beginning of your walk with Jesus, but as your ongoing walk with Jesus, that you would have peace because of the good news of the gospel. Psalm 103 says that your sins are as far as the east is from the west. And so I want you to imagine, who do you think keeps bringing up the past sins of your life? It's not Jesus. The dark forces would love for you to keep beating yourself up, child of God. I'm not good enough. Oh, these sins, that sins, whatever it would be. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're a child of God. You can have peace. And God wants you to have that peace. You don't need to keep recounting your past sins that you have confessed to the Lord, that you have given over to him. It is nailed to the cross. As far as the east is from the west, you're forgiven in Christ. It's Satan who wants you to forget the gospel of peace. So I'm sure you remember, as you think about these three things, these three pieces of armor, that it's Satan who wants you to not use these three tools when he attacks. You have the belt of truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the gospel of peace so you can stand firm. Okay, I have three more. You guys ready? Verse 16 and 17. Take a look with me. Paul says this in 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me quickly touch on all three of those. We just talked about three tools to fight deception. Let me talk about three tools to fight affliction. And they work for all types of things, but let me focus on this piece. The three verbs of some of the words in this, this section has this imperative voice. Do these things. It's a command. Take up. It's anticipatory of the fight. The first three have more of a sense of, you already have these things, don't forget. These next three has more of the sense of, you need to take these up for the fight. The three choices we need to make in the battle when the devil afflicts us. The first one is a shield of faith. It is defensive against the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, I don't know if Paul literally means that Satan is always directly attacking us. He's not omnipresent. 
So he can't be in two places at once like God can because God's omnipresent. He's everywhere, everywhere all the time. And especially for those in Christ with the spirit of God, right? The devil doesn't have that power or that ability. So I don't know if he's personally doing it or it's his demons or just the dark forces of the culture, but there are real arrows that Paul is saying, Christians, if you follow Jesus, dark forces are coming after you. Be ready. And you need a shield of faith. It's defensive. Let the shield of faith, what does it do? It takes the shots. Let it take the attack, your faith. Because guess what? There's going to be times in your life when you need to trust God, even though when it looks like God has completely abandoned you, child of God, you're going to need that shield of faith to take those arrows. There were eight years that Katie and I, we couldn't have kids. And if some of you, you still have not got that prayer answered. There were times when we felt abandoned by God. I'm not sure what your affliction is that makes you feel abandoned. I'm telling you, Christian, he has not abandoned you in your affliction you're going through now. It doesn't mean he's going to answer the prayer the way you want him to answer it. It may not. But he has not abandoned you. The shield of faith. Because the devil absolutely wants you to doubt that God loves you and he's still with you in the midst of the affliction. A shield of faith. A shield of faith when I look at my retirement account. Because last week to today, it's 20% down. I need a shield of faith. God has not abandoned me. How about you? I choose to take up the faith, faith in God. Will you choose? You get this? Those three things you have, these three things that sounds like you need to be actively choosing. How many here are going through an affliction right now and you're saying, Pastor Tim, I need to take up my shield of faith. I've been doubting God's presence. I've been doubting God's goodness. I've been doubting God's existence. I need that shield of faith. Next is this, a helmet of salvation. In Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we get a little more insight into what Paul probably means about this helmet of salvation that we're talking about in this section. Paul describes this helmet as the hope of salvation. It's a helmet of hope of salvation. It's a helmet of hope. I love that. It's again emphasizing our salvation is secure, that we have hope in God because he's not abandoned us. This is our hope in a fallen world that dark forces, though they may try to tear you down, dark forces might try to tempt you to doubt in God's goodness, in God's provision. Helmet of hope. Have you lost hope? You see, here's the thing. The reality is that you are secure in the arms of God. You have been saved. There's nothing can take that away. You have eternal riches and glory that are already present for you that you'll get to fully experience one day. And so you get to live freely and live courageously because you are secure in the hope of your salvation. I'm going to give it all for Jesus. I'm going to hold things lightly in this world. I have the hope of God's salvation in my life. You get this? Because you've been saved to serve. And there's a joy in serving. Of the hope of salvation. But the devil would love for you to be comfortable and have your hope not in God's salvation, but in things of this world. You get the difference? Sometimes Satan afflicts us not with pain, hear me out, but with comfort. 
C.S. Lewis famously portrayed in one of his books. He said that one of the devil's best schemes against Christians is not pain, but contented worldliness. Ouch. Guilty as charged. Maybe some of us need to pray this prayer, and this prayer is for ourselves. For some of us, Lord, would you comfort the afflicted? And I'm praying for that for many of you. But Lord, would you afflict the comfortable in the right time, in the right circumstances? Sometimes the, hope, the helmet of hope of salvation, I'm secure, so I'm, gonna, I'm saved, I'm ready to serve you, Lord. I'm putting my hope in things of this world. Friends, stop putting your hope in anything else that's not God's salvation in you. Putting your hope in things that don't last. Your bank account, I don't need to remind you. Your reputation. Even hope in good worldly relationships, friends, all of them will disappoint ultimately. Jesus, the hope of our salvation. Satan wants you to put hope in things that do not last. Don't get distracted by comforts. The helmet of salvation is a helmet of hope in Jesus Christ alone. You got that one? Ready for the next? And the last, the sword of the Spirit. See, this is the word of God. Because Paul says that. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Keep in mind that the New Testament hasn't even been written yet. So Paul isn't necessarily thinking of like your physical Bible. He's thinking about the truth of God, the word of God. And keep in mind as well, when I talk about the belt of truth, that likely the sword was sitting in the belt. It's connected. He's kind of wrapping up the whole armor of God. The belt of truth and the sword of the spirit that sits in that belt. Keep in mind this of the sword of the spirit. That in Hebrews 4.12, the writer of Hebrews does compare the word of God to a sword. So I love this image that Paul is giving. I want you to notice, too, that the sword of the Spirit is the only piece of the armor that is an offensive tool. It's offensive and defensive, a sword. And so though we are called to be on the defensive against Satan attacks, to stand firm is what Paul says. Stand firm, so defensive. Have you know, your feet set, right? Have all your armor ready. You have one tool that is also offensive, also ready to fight against the evil one. And so though we are to be defensive, we are also to be offensive, to be on the attack against the evil one with God's truth, the word of God. The truth of the gospel enters into enemy territory to combat the deception and afflictions of Satan, to combat human trafficking. We need the sword of the spirit, the word of God. 20,000 kids being sent into slavery every week. We need the word of God. Poverty that we see around the world and in our own nation, we need the word of God. Thank God we have a, a little little food pantry out locally. And we have little devotionals there in case the Spirit leads someone to pick it up. The Word of God. Entering in the enemy territory, enemy territory like human trafficking, enemy territory like poverty, enemy territory like the unethical aspects of our, of our nation at times, right? Things that we see in our culture that's accepted. 
Yes, we need to be on the defensive to stand firm, but guess what? You have the sword of the Spirit. It is your one offensive tool for the battle. I'm going to give you a story, a true story. My friends who are Christians and in the tech industry, they're super smart people, way beyond anything I can even understand. But one of them is actually working uh, using hardware and software and programming and all kinds of crazy things to help secret Christians in the nation of Iran spread the gospel. Now, if you know this, but Iran, it's a closed country. You're not allowed to spread the gospel. You could die for spreading the gospel. If you're a Muslim who converts to Christianity, you will be executed. You, have, right, you get the picture, right? In Iran right now, we know this big, bad Iran, right? But I, I don't know if you know, over the last 30 years, a handful of Christians have multiplied to thousands, then tens of thousands, to hundreds of thousands, to millions of secret Christians in the closed country of Iran. You know how they're doing it? Technology and faithful people. People like my friend who know how to like reroute routers to make it look like when they're downloading Christian sermons or really like watching a cooking show or something like that. Like they know how to do this stuff. They're entering into enemy territory using the gifts that God has given them to present the gospel of peace to a whole nation that would never hear the saving word of Jesus Christ. Isn't that unbelievable? Wow. Now, I'm not saying every one of you is going to do that. Oh, but God's got an assignment for you to use a sword of the Spirit to battle against the evil one in some small or big way in the name of Jesus. Your little life matters. And I love how one of these secret Christians in Iran said this, not even Satan's strongest army can crush the faith of Christians in our country. So every time you hear Iran, I want you to remember the three million secret Christians in that nation and pray for them. Will you do that? I don't tend to do it. Will you do that with me? Every time you hear something about Iran, pray for the three million secret Christians and pray for my friend who's rerouting URL stuff and making it look all kinds of crazy things so they won't get caught. Isn't that beautiful? God might want to use you in some special way as well. Friends, evil's real. We have a real enemy. We have a real dark force that is against us. Your little life matters. I'm going to close with a story. I'm going to invite our worship team back up as I wrap up. Years ago, I was at this church called Bel Air Presbyterian. At this church, Bel Air Presbyterian, in, in the west side of, of LA, very nice area, about 30 of us gathered in this Bible study. No big deal, right? When we had this visitor come, he's come for a few weeks, a little bit, little bit awe, but we wanted to welcome him. And Help, you know, thought maybe he was a believer, help encourage him in his walk with the Lord. Well, in the middle of our, of our prayer time, we would take prayer requests. And so we would, like, you know, we do here at our church, you close your eyes and we're saying a prayer, praying for people. And in the middle of our prayer, he says, I have, I have a scripture. So we're, oh, okay, this guy's enthusiastic. He says, do not pray out loud like the hypocrites. Awkward moment, right? I was looking, I'm like, Wow. What's going on? And my pastor wisely said this. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That guy ran out of our Bible saying, never came back again. We all started talking after the Bible saying, what's going on? What, what was that? It was weird. And we didn't have a lot of experience with spiritual warfare. We're in Bel Air, California, my goodness, right? And one of the gals said, you know what? I had a weird dream last night that I think was from the Lord that I didn't mention. We were sitting on this couch doing Bible study, like we always do every week. 
and a, a snake popped its head out of the couch. And instead of running from it, we started petting it. And we all realized that we were under spiritual attack. That the devil actually thought it was a good plan to attack our little Bible study in Bel Air of 30 kids. Now, some of you might say, Tim, maybe you have a little problems with like delusions of grandeur. Like, why would the devil bother with 30 college students? Bel Air, California, right? I mean, that's not the most strategic thing for saying. Well, let me just pause and let you know this. Over the course of that little college ministry, it ended up growing to about 400 students. And that 400 students grew to like 800 young adults. And that grew to like 2,000 people. But anyways, that didn't matter really. But what happened? Out of that group of people, I can tell you, hundreds of Christian leaders that came out of that ministry. Hundreds. And out of those hundreds of Christian leaders, I actually know for a fact, hundreds of thousands of people who were touched with the goodness of God because of their leadership. People who serve in major ministries and secret ministries around the world. Never underestimate, because of the size of your ministry, that doesn't matter. The size of your footprint in life. The devil wants you to think your life doesn't matter. You're just a small part. Oh, you might be a key strategic piece of God's kingdom plan. Never doubt what God might want to do with you. So take up the armor of God, people, and let's use the pieces of God's armor to battle the dark forces. Let's pray. Jesus, we simply worship you. We love you. We proclaim your goodness, your presence. And it's in your name we worship you right now in song. Receive this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.